You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Evil minds that plot destruction. Sorcerer of death's construction. In the fields of bodies burning. Machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Welcome to the Anarchist World this week Broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite Listen to the Anarchist World this week Australia's sacred cow, Slaughterhouse Listen to analysis of local, national and international events to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live from the studios of 3CR in Melbourne. The pod- program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. My name is Joseph Toscano. I'd like to welcome all our listeners across Australia. 2MIA in Griffith, New South Wales, 2RRR in uh, Gladesville, New South Wales, 4NAG in Yapoon, Queensland, 4NSA, Noosa Heads in Queensland, 7RGY in uh, Geefston, Tasmania, 2BOB, Taree, New South Wales, 2XX, Canberra City, ACT, obviously 3CR in Melbourne, Fitzroy, 3UGE in Alexandra in Victoria, SUV in Adelaide in South Australia, 8CCC in Alice Springs in the Northern Territory, and obviously the Community Radio Network. And four, let's not forget, four triple Z in Brisbane, which you've been uh, doing the program for a long, long time. So thank you very much for listeners across Australia. Now, if you would like to listen to the Anarchist World this week in your part of the world and you're travelling and uh, you've come across us or you listen to a podcast, you can always contact your local community radio station and see if they're a member of the Community Radio Network and uh, possibly we can organise it for you to hear the programme directly. And if you wonder what anarchism is all about, anarchos without rulers. Anarchos without rulers. Not without rules. It's amazing. I was talking to a QC. Yes, I do talk to everybody. Even QC. Well, it's a KC these days. King's Council. Who immediately equated anarchism with chaos. And I had to explain to him. It's about without rulers, not rules. What gives rulers the ability to cause the carnage they have over hundreds and thousands of years? Inequalities in power and wealth. So what's the anarchist struggle? It's the struggle to devolve power or share power, possibly through direct democratic means. It's the struggle to hold wealth in common and use for the common good. Exceptionally conservative concepts. But very radical if you're somebody who is able to lord it over other people because of inequalities. Well, we're a real threat. But for the majority of people, we should be seen as nice, cuddly little teddy bears. All right, putting the cart before the horse. It's an old saying, 
just in case you forgot what a cart or a horse is. Usually you put the horse in front of the cart and off you go. Now, I've been very interested in the debate surrounding the voice and all the people that have been crawling out, out of the woodwork. Now, I'd just like to give my opinion and give an analysis of why I think this referendum is important. Historically, out of almost, I think, 92, 93 propositions that have been put up to the Australian people since Federation in 1981, only about eight or nine have passed in the referendum. And one of them was the 1967 referendum, which gave the Commonwealth, where 90% of the people of Australia, the most successful referendum ever, gave the Commonwealth Government the power to make legislation for Indigenous people. And obviously, this was a moment of great goodwill from the Australian people. Irrespective of what you think about what's happened, and you know my opinion about what's happened, it was a moment where the Australian people had a choice. It wasn't a moment where Parliament had a choice. It wasn't a moment where state governments had a choice. Local governments had a choice. Corporations had a choice. Businesses had a choice. The question was put to the Australian people. And that goodwill, which was generated through a 67 referendum, which is supported by, as I said, over 90% of Australians, then helped the momentum for the Whitlam-led Labor government to introduce land rights legislation. It helped to clear the decks for the Mabo decision in 1992. And it's assisted in providing much of the impetus for change. Now, I've noticed with the voice debate, they're crawling out of the... The whole point about the voice debate and the voice referendum is that it gives the Australian people a choice as far as First Nations people are concerned in this country. Now, people talk about putting the treaty and the Justice Commission before the voice. There are people who say, well, we're against the voice, you know, it's divisive. We're against it, totally like the National Party. Now, let's look at it this realistically. Now, this is a referendum which can create goodwill for future debate, where for the first time since 1967, the Australian people have been asked for their opinion. First time as far as First Nations are concerned. The whole point about having a referendum is that if a referendum is successful, then the government of the day has to implement legislation to incorporate that decision within their legislative framework. When you talk about a treaty and a Justice Commission, that's a different matter. That is a matter between various Aboriginal and Islander nation states and the government of the day. It has very little to do with the people.
of the country. It is a direct negotiation. It's the government of the day, as we see in Victoria, that set up the Yorick Justice Commission. It's the government of the day, as we see in Victoria, once again, that has started the process towards a treaty, irrespective of how flawed it is. That relationship with a treaty and a justice commission is between First Nations and a government of the day. It has very little to do with the Australian people and what they want. What a referendum does, as far as the voice is concerned, it engenders goodwill in the population, which then assists the momentum towards justice, commi justice commission, compensation, treaty, extension of land rights, claims, and the list goes on and on. And that's the dilemma. Now, those of you who are old enough to remember 1999 and how the Republican movement was split in terms of whether the president would be, or whatever you want to call it, the governor-general would be elected or appointed, we'll understand that 25 years later, we are still saddled with the same system. And my concern is, if there is enough opposition to the voice, that it will create a climate of fear and play into the, ver in the hands of the very people that we have fought against for ages. For example, I do get mail, I got a letter today saying, talking about white power. That's right, white power. White power groups being formed in the suburbs of Melbourne, and I'm sure they have been formed around the country. I'll give you an example. On the day of mourning, or invasion day, whatever you like to call it, uh, a cafe that I know, you know, within 25 kilometres of uh, the Melbourne CBD, put up morning day hours instead of Australia day hours. Morning day hours. And within an hour, they were inundated with hate mail, threats to burn the business, threats to bankrupt them. So there are people out there in our community that wish to subvert and destroy the goodwill that would be created in the community as far as moving towards a treaty and a justice commission who will do anything to sabotage that and to see elements of the left, or what's left of it, of the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander community jumping on that bandwagon which feeds this hysteria and confusion will only play into the hands of these people which we are all implacably opposed to and opposed to their agenda. Think about it. It's a referendum. It means there is, it'll be constitutional recognition. What that means is the government of the day is forced to ask the opinion. How they do it is a matter for legislation. It'll be there for eternity or until the next referendum or until there's a revolution and the, uh, not there's any around the corner. So think about it. Do you really want to be part of that confusion which will allow these divisive, 
racist elements in our community to gain traction and use this referendum as their stepping stone to creating a more divisive community. And that's what will happen if the voice referendum fails. The momentum and the goodwill which has been generated in the community through decades of struggle by First Nations people and their supporters will dissipate. Think about it. Sometimes we have to accept that change comes in small steps. There is no revolution around the corner. And if you have as many contacts as I do and meet as many people as I do from all stratas of society, rural, regional, urban, central city, and the list goes on and on, you will realise that this is a very divided community and to actually promote ideas which will increase that division because you want everything at once, well, it's political suicide, cultural suicide, social suicide. This is the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Scanner. I'm hosting today's program. Let's move on. The hidden pandemic. We all know about COVID-19 and those regular listeners to the program know my position as far as vaccinations are concerned. I'm pro-vaccination. I was pro to a significant degree before vaccination was available to the restrictions which occurred because obviously COVID-19 did have a dramatic impact and continues to have a dramatic impact. The difference today is it's a personal decision. It's no longer a community decision. The government of the day has washed its hand. It says, well, we've got vaccination, we've got treatment for older people. You know, you do what you like. But there is another pandemic which has been with us now for almost 40 years. And it's a hidden pandemic. It's a pandemic which has been promoted through government inaction. Those listeners who, you know, like to look at history, be interested to see the changing nature of our physical dimensions over the centuries. And in the 19th century, whenever you saw a cartoon about, you know, some ruling class person or prick or whatever you like to call them, they're always fat and the workers that were lean and mean. Today, it's changed. It's changed. Obesity has become the main problem for people on limited incomes. It is the main health issue facing us today. It causes premature death. It causes type 2 diabetes. It causes cardiac disease. There is some suggestion that it increases rates of carcinoma. It complicates pregnancy and child delivery. 
And for a long, long time, we have been told that it is a personal failing. It is a failing of the individual. Why can't they stop eating? Well, the fact is, obesity is a society problem. It's a problem which has been accelerated through the monetization of food production and food preparation. It is no accident that obesity has become an issue with the mass production of packaged and canned food. No accident. And it's no accident that it's become an issue with the rise and rise and rise of the corporate takeaway industry. No accident whatsoever. Because cheap food, and people do look for cheap food if they're on a limited income, for themselves and their children. Cheap food is packaged food, and it's cheap for a variety of reasons. It has a very high sugar content. It has a high salt content. It has a high fat content. And obviously, if you've got disposable income, you can eat fresh, fresh meat, fresh seafood, fresh vegetables. You can have a personal trainer. You can go to a gym. You can look lean and mean. You can decrease your risks as far as cardiac disease is concerned, cancer is concerned, diabetes is concerned, all the associated problems associated with the diabetes. And governments in this country, unlike many governments overseas, have been loath to actually tackle the issue at its source. And that is ensuring that food which is packaged and canned is very, very, very clearly marked in terms of its content. For example, I did a little experiment on, you know, I like my tomato sauce. Well, not the stuff you squeeze on your food. That's not tomato sauce, that's sugar and who knows what. But, you know, passata. Now, passata's supposed to be tomato, you know, that's been processed. I looked at seven bottles of passata in one packet, all right, one foil packet. Some from overseas, some manufactured here. All of them had sugar, added sugar, but there was no notice on the bottles that there was added sugar. And that added sugar was quite extensive, from about 7.8 grams from 100 mils, and if you've got a 500 mil bottles, that's almost 40 grams of sugar, which is a fair amount of sugar, to about 25 grams of sugar per, per 500 mil bottle. So again, added sugar. And the reason it's added, the taste. So if we want to tackle obesity, we need to tackle a number of issues. One, we need to remember it's not an individual problem. That to a significant degree, 
as a society, we are obese and we continue to be obese and we continue to put pressure on our healthcare system, especially the public healthcare system, because of the type of food that people are forced to eat because of their limited income. We need to understand the way our cities, and let's not forget that over 70% of Australians live in six capital cities, are structured so that people no longer walk or are no longer able to walk to work. I mean, it's all very well having enough money to have a personal trainer or go to a gym. It's a different matter actually having the time and the ability to do things that produce weight, like walking. And we need to have government legislation not only to um, allow us to know exactly what's in packaged food, what percentage is sugar and what isn't sugar, not little tiny little, you know, things at the back of the bottle, but we also need to think about taxes. That's right, taxes, a sugar tax, a salt tax, and it wouldn't take very long for those corporations to uh, remove those unnecessary additives from our food. Think about it, the hidden pandemic, obesity. Now, look, I've always had a struggle with obesity. I'm the first one to admit it. And to a significant degree, it's only in the last two or three years since I've developed a number of health issues that I've taken it seriously. Now, we don't need to reach that level where you've got health issues that you need to take it seriously. We need to take it seriously from the very beginning because obese children become obese adults. Obese adults develop complications of obesity which shorten their life and cause a great deal of personal harm and damage. So it is a revolutionary act to actually be in a position where people can eat fresh, where people uh, go back to preparing their own food, where we have housing communities and structures which encourage a little bit more physical walking or physical exercise in the day-to-day way we, we run our lives. So let's move on. This is the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. That's 3cr.org.au. All right, let's move on. Robo-debt. Tudgy, tudgy, tudgy. Well, I speak, Mr Alan Tudge, the minister responsible for uh, state terrorism, will be speaking to the Royal Commissioners. Now, Mr Morrison, our beloved Prime Minister, when they launched this attack on the most vulnerable people in society, social security beneficiaries, a number of years ago, has claimed that he wasn't told about the details. He wasn't told about the fact that, you know, that it was an issue. Well, well, Mr Tudge is in for a grilling. Because 
What is terrorism? What is state terrorism? State terrorism was it when the state uses its power to engender fear in its citizens. That's what state terrorism is. It's when the state is able to unilaterally use all its institutions and arbitrarily exercise power over individuals. And robo-debt is a classical, was a classical example of state terrorism in practice. And those public servants that have been grilled by the Royal Commissioners have categorically pointed out how involved ministers from the Morrison government were in promoting robo-debt. And Mr Tudge, the minister, was at the apex of this state terrorism, at the very apex. When you use the whole power of the state to harass people on social security benefits for debts they don't owe and then use every power available to you to harass those people to pay that debt and dock their social security payments which keep them around the poverty line you are nothing more than a terrorist and a terrorist that has mass consequences and when governments turn their eyes on the 40% of Australians who rely on social security benefits to survive in order to make a little bit of a few few illusory savings and allow the corporate sector to get away with murder as far as you know taxation is concerned you begin to understand the very nature of the type of governments we have had in power and to a significant degree continue to have in power. This is one of the most despicable moments in Australian history where over 8 million people from a population of less than 25 million people were targeted because they were poor, because they were powerless, because they didn't have access to the fancy lawyers which money buys. The government made the decision for purely political reasons, not financial reasons, but to create fear and loathing in the community as far as people were concerned who were on social security benefits. Somehow, they were less than human. They were dehumanised. 
they were treated as criminals. The onus of proof was put on them, not the government which had all the resources to prove that the debt which some random, ineffective, irrelevant algorithm had put in place was wrong. It caused a lot of suffering. It caused suicides. It caused pain. And it continues to have lingering effects on the community. This needs to be called out for what it is. State terrorism in practice. It's like holding a gun at somebody's head. I mean, you may think I'm exaggerating, but you think of the situation, you're on a social security benefit, you're making a few extra bucks working here and there, all of a sudden you get a letter saying, you owe $60,000 if you don't pay up in the next four weeks, blah, 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 blah. Think about it. You listen to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Toscan, I'm hosting today's program. If you like the program, keep listening. If you don't like it, well, go somewhere else. There are millions of podcasts, tons of radio programs. There are computers, there are web pages, there are Facebook pages, there's Instagram, there's Twitter. I'm sure you can find something to fill your lonely life. All right? So go away. But, you know, sometimes you really have to describe things the way they are. A shovel is a shovel. It's not a digging implement. It's a shovel. It's ugly. It's nasty. But it does a fair bit of work. A shovel is a shovel. Can you smell it in the air? No, I'm not talking about... I'm not talking about spring. That's gone. It's summer now. But can you smell it in the air? I always love the end of January. Now, I do a fair bit of travelling. And the end of January is a wonderful time. Not just because of Invasion Day or the day of morning. But it's a wonderful time because of the beginning of the school year. And a lot of my travel takes me past some of the most prestigious, in inverted commas, private schools in the country. And other parts of my travel take me past some of the poorest public schools in the country. And I'm thinking to myself, where am I living? What's going on? How can we as a society continue to funnel billions of dollars into privately owned schools while the amount of resources which go into public schools can never seems to meet the needs. Look, I've got, I mean, in Finland, private schools are banned, and they're banned for a very good reason. Not just because of the inequalities in educational opportunity, but they're banned for the reason that private education actually um, exacerbates social divisions in society. Because you don't have people from different 
social groups mingling in the same forum. You just don't have it. You find that if you go to a private school, and many people send their kiddies to private schools because of the opportunities it will avail them in the future in terms of contacts. So you get this division. And to a significant degree, many of the problems which we face in society today in this country are a direct result of this division. Where some people have never had any contact with a First Nations person or a migrant or somebody on a social security benefit because it's not part of their social setting. And obviously, when you are not physically able to identify with a group of people, it's exceptionally simple to dehumanise them. Exceptionally simple. And that's what private education is all about. Now, I don't give a shit if somebody wants to send their kitty to a private school and they do it from their own pocket. I don't care. They want to send them to a private school and they're willing to pay for it, that's their problem. But what I really am angry about, and I am angry, and many people have been angry for decades, is the fact that we, as a society, bankroll private education which increases divisions within society and these divisions become etched in concrete because the opportunities that people are able to avail themselves of change. You know, somebody whose parent is on a social security benefit irrespective of Mr Albanese, and I'll talk about that another day, will never find themselves in the position as somebody whose parent is able to provide them a private education. I remember when I went to uh, high school, which was bloody decades ago, there was only one person from six senior classes that went to university, and that was yours truly, which I assume a lot of people think was a mistake. (laughs) It was yours truly. And this was quite common within the public education sector. It's a little bit different now, but obviously many of the courses which we see in universities today are really courses which shouldn't be there, but that's another story. So all I'm saying is you can smell it, you can see it, the nice schools, the beautiful extras you can get for your kid, all courtesy of the Australian taxpayer. Now, if you tell me, well, why should I support public schools? I pay taxes and those taxes should go back to private schools. Well, mate, we're all part of society. You don't want the problems in Alice Springs to become countrywide problems. Well, then, we need to ensure that public education is adequately funded and staffed, and people in the public sector who attend the public sector have the same opportunities as children who attend the private sector. But again, this is this is the this is the delightful part of being an Australian. You know, we subsidise private education. We subsidise private healthcare. 
we subsidise corporations which make billions of dollars of profits and don't pay taxes or pay minimal taxation, voluntary taxation. We give them access to our natural resources for a peppercorn rent. But we do introduce a scheme like RoboDebt to harass that section of the population that is least able to defend themselves. God, it's wonderful, wonderful to be an Australian. Let's move on. Now, I'm going to tell you some figures, see if you can work it out. In 1976, 51.6% of Australians who were working were part of an organisation, which we'll talk about in a minute. In 2022, what's that? Almost 50 years later, only 12.5% of Australians are part of that same organisation. And I'm talking about trade unions. In 1976, 51.6% of Australians were members of trade unions. In, at the end of 2022, it was 12.5%, which was a 2% drop in the last three years. And you ask yourself, why? People think, why, why, why? Well, this is not natural attrition. This is corporate and government-engineered cleansing. Cleansing of the trade union movement. And of that 12, 12.5% that continue to be members of trade unions, most of them are in the public sector. I think it's less than 4% are in the private sector. So why? Why, why, why? Well, there's been a concerted attack on trade unions now for over five decades. And there are three pivotal moments. The first one was the introduction of so-called collective bargaining by the Hawke-Keating government. The second one was the introduction of a large source of cheap non-unionised labour into this country to act as competition to the trade union sector to keep wages down and dilute conditions that had been won through hard-fought hard struggles in the 60s and 70s. Before the pandemic, one in seven Australian workers were overseas workers on short-term contracts, on temporary visas who had come into this country to provide that cheap source of labour which so many companies and corporations needed to maximise their investment. And thirdly, the most important, is that legislation has been passed through successive Australian parliaments which criminalises people who are members of trade unions. Now, as I keep saying, we love to talk about how the Chinese don't allow trade unions and they don't allow their workers to strike well. 
we have the same problem in this country. Legislation has been passed which can bankrupt unions, deregister unions and more importantly, fine individual workers up to $10,000 a day and these fines have been levied in the past for being involved in unauthorised withdrawal of labour, unauthorised strikes. So, if you can't collectively... I mean, you can pass legislation which gives people the ability to collectively bargain, but if you don't have people in trade unions who can actually have the muscle to initiate that collective bargaining, well, nothing ever changes. And that's why, although we had a labour shortage in this country because the borders were closed during the pandemic, we continued to find ourselves in a situation where wage growth didn't even keep up with inflation. So I'll say it again. I know it's boring. But in 1976, if you invested a dollar in a project and that project made a profit, one third or 33 cents of that dollar would come back to you and 67 cents would go to the workers who actually created that profit. Today... Because of legislative changes, the destruction of the trade union movement, the abolition of the right to strike except, to, except during an enterprise bargaining agreement period, has meant that if you're an investor and you invest a dollar and, that, and it's profitable, two-thirds of that dollar, 67 cents, will go back to the investor and 33 cents will go to the workers who actually made that profit. And that's a dramatic shift and to a significant degree that dramatic shift has occurred because capitalism the private investment for private profit mantra is not only a driving religious force in this country it has become part of the Australian workers DNA every aspect of our everyday existence is monetarised. Whether it's food, socialisation, sport, food preparation, human interaction, it's all about an exchange. It's all about an exchange. It's not about expanding the public sector and to a significant degree this has occurred because we have bought the nightmare they call it the dream we as a people believe that if we give the private sector its head they will maximise profits and those profits will somehow drip down to the rest of us. It's in our DNA. And the introduction of superannuation ensured that Australians' DNA became part of the private investment for private profit mantra. Because retirement, you know, you've got to understand DNA, I mean, you've got to understand that superannuation is the biggest con since... 
I don't know when, since religion began. Huge con. You know, think about it. You now are responsible for your, for your own old age. And those people who think, oh, it's the employer who gives me the money. The agreement was that the workers would forego wage rises and those wage rises would go into superannuation. And that superannuation would be used as a nest egg for their retirement. Now, what we've seen is the almost complete privatisation and corporatisation of superannuation. And what's happened is that people's superannuation grows or falls is totally dependent on the private marketplace, whether it's the stock market, whether it's the share market, whether it's investment uh, in housing, whether it's investment in you know other things. It's all about the private market. And somehow we think that the way to obtain security is by increasing the amount of disposable income we have. And ultimately, security in any nation state is dependent on the interaction between the people within that sovereign nation state. It's dependent on the extent of the public sector. That's what it's dependent on. I mean, what is a social security net? It is basically public sector security for each and every one of us. What is public housing? Security for each and every one of us. That's what it is. Nothing more, nothing less. Let's move on, let's move on. Time is running out. You realise there's a little bit of panic among the investment class? There's a new capitalism in which the ALP federal government is interested in. It's called values-based capitalism. It's a new kind of economic theory, values-based capitalism, as if a private investment for private profit mantra has any value apart from maximising profits for shareholders. Now, the investment class is a little bit concerned because the federal government is talking about in, in, in reintroducing regulation to keep the market in check to ensure that the public as a whole benefits. So it started. Those of you who've got your ear to the ground will have noticed how the investment classes are saying, well, the 8 to 10% of people who've got disposable income in this country who invest are saying, it's the end of the world as we know it. They've introduced a price, you know, control on gas. Unbelievable. They're talking about introducing legislation to ensure that people pay, uh, corporations pay a little bit more tax. Panic. And that's what we want. We do want panic among the investment class. We want to go back to 1976, not in terms of technology, not in terms of social interaction and values, but in terms of where profits go. In 1976, two-thirds of every dollar 
profit went back to the workers who made that profit. One third went to the investor. Today, it's the other way around. Two third goes to the investor. One third goes to the worker. Now, values-based capitalism can shift that equation in the worker's direction. It's a good thing. Not that I think you can actually reform the private investment for private profit concept. Think about it. Panic among the investment class. It's going to reach a crescendo in the next year or two. We're going to hear about they're all going to go overseas to invest their money. We're going to have an investment or a capital strike. You know, you can get a worker strike, but you can get a capital strike. I mean, workers can't strike, but people with capital can strike. So let's see how this little little um, episode goes. Now, sometimes I wonder what type of society we have. There's been two heroes, in inverted commas, over the last week. And again, it's, it was January. It is always sport. There was a, no, a bloke called Novak Djokovic, I think his name was, some bloke who didn't want to be vaccinated and protect his fellow human beings. And he's won a tennis tournament in this country. And there's another bloke called Steve Smith, I think he was a former captain of the Australian cricket team and they've both been lauded this week. Now, Mr Smith was involved in a little bit of dodgy cricketing in South Africa and Mr Dokjevic, well, he was expelled from this country a year ago but uh, normally when you're expelled for a visa violation it takes three years for you to come back but he got a special dispensation. Now, these are heroes in our society. So you work it out. I can't work it out. I mean... I've got heroes, but it's not Mr Djokovic and Mr Steve Smith. You know, you work it out. What what have we become? What have we become? Now, there's a little court case going on at the minute where Murdoch, Mr Lachlan Murdoch, Mr Murdoch's favourite son, is suing Crikey. That's right, crikey.com. And it's suing... Crikey.com, because Crikey.com claimed, I think in an article, just one article, that Fox News, under the leadership and control of the Murdochs, and that's the key, was directly responsible for the 6th of January 2021 attack on the White House in Washington, D.C. Now, something I've spoken about here in the past, it's obvious to me. So why are they suing Crikey, this non-entity in Australia? They're suing Crikey not only to shut them up, but more importantly... They're concerned about possible legal action in the United States, class actions regarding this particular phase of American politics, which could see the Murdoch Empire being broken up and forcefully sold off. That's what this crikey case is all about 
why wouldn't you just ignore it? Why would you bother suing some non-entity? Why would you bother? And that's the reason you bother, because you're concerned about possible legal action in the States which will lead, lead to the demise of the Murdoch Empire in the US of A. So keep your eyes on that court case. Let's see what we find out. And the ALP carbon plan is about to be blocked by the coalition. Looks like they've learnt nothing. Dutton, you know, rails about Alice Springs. He rails about the voice to Parliament. He rails against the, uh, you know, this modest carbon plan the ALP wants to put through Parliament. What an extraordinary mob of losers we have in the Liberal National Party. But there's only one problem. A lot of people love them. And it's important to remember that unless we are involved in activities that challenge that worldview, that that worldview could become a reality. Look around Europe. Look at the type of governments that are in place. Look at Israel. Look at Russia. Look at the House of Saudi in the Arabian Peninsula. Look at Yemen, look at the Ukraine, proxy war in the Ukraine, and you'll see that it doesn't take long for us as a people to find ourselves in a particularly sticky situation. That's why it's important that programs like the Anarchist World this week and people who listen to this uh, program are able to not only talk about issues but act on those issues. Now, as I said before... If you're interested in finding out what we're talking about, go to the Facebook page, um, Joseph Toscano, go to the Anarchist Institute page, go to the Public Interest Before Corporate Interest page, and the list goes on and on. And just in case you live in Melbourne, just before I wrap up, you can leave messages on 0439 395 489. You can ring from anywhere in the world. YouTube channel, um, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest, and the list goes on and on. Thank you for listening to the Anarchist World this week across Australia, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. This program has been streaming live from the studios of 3CR in Melbourne. My name is Joseph Toscano. You can give me a, a ring on 0439 395 489. You can privately Facebook page, publicly Facebook page me. You can go, oh, it just goes on and on. Oh, you can always write to me at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Don't forget those days that I spoke about at the beginning of the program and uh, the 16th of March... 6pm, Tanaminoa Morbohina uh, Monument. We'll be talking about doing a presentation on why, what relevance the 1842 executions of Tanaminoa Morbohina have on Australians today in 2023. Listen in to the Anarchist World this week, next week on your local evil minds that plot destruction. Death construction. An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World This Week. Australia's Sacred Cow Slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh,
Become a 3CR subscriber today. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 03-9419-8377. Be a part of your community radio station. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.